0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 40. We're joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at vJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? It's going well, John. I feel kind of like we're over the hill with the
1: episode 4.0. I mean, you know what that's about, I'm a young guy. Uh... <laughs> but hey, I want to make sure the listeners know that we're both VMware solution engineers looking to bring them the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. We hope our discussions will be relevant across the disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd journey. Ultimately,
0: we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Hey, uh, we're back with part two of our discussion with Paul Woodward of the Explore VM podcast and A.J. Kuftik, one of his interviewees. Yes, sir. It seems like we really got into the
1: importance of being a technical communicator in this episode. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the move to the architect role. By the way, be listening for the best John White School of Mentoring plug yet. It's there.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a, a real highlight. <laughs> but let's dive back into the discussion with Paul and AJ. You know what? Ignore John's lack of enthusiasm. Enjoy part two.
2: So understanding your costs, that, that's what helps drives the business. But there's no... The business doesn't care about Server 2012 versus Server 2016. They don't care about Rel 6 versus Rel 7. They don't care about all flash or hybrid or spinning. They don't care. They care that their application is up and isn't slow. And if you can, defi- if you can define slow, you're a genius. <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's a different way of thinking, right? Um, about business metrics, maybe, instead of uh, technology metrics. I, I remember I was terrible at this. I had this revelation when I started working at VMware that I was really bad at selling my ideas upstream to my management, you know, like, hey, you know, we need to, to upgrade to, you know, backup version eight. Like, oh, what version are we on now? Four, <laughs> you know, eight is four better, right? And they're like, uh, <laughs> is is four supported? Well, yeah, uh, are we okay backup wise? I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, but you know, it's four better. Nah, I don't think yeah. we have a budget for that, you know? And that was like, Okay, so I wasn't articulating our need for, you know, backup, you know, upgrades in any way that made any kind of difference to the business, right? They cared about well as a distributor, so they cared about, you know, latency and processing order lines, you know. So if I could have, you know, pitched any technology project that increased that, you know, or you know, decrease the latency, increase the number of lines that a an order entry person could process in any given you know minute or hour then then that would have mattered
2: right but uh and I think that the that sort of thing when you're talking about like like version changes like that um, a lot of times you are waiting for end of support you're waiting for some sort of external factor to come in and push things along Thank you, Microsoft, for putting in uh, upgrade functions from 2012 to 2016 and 2016 to 2019, which means we don't have to go through this, like, rip and replace operating system thing (laughs) anymore. Really appreciate that. Um, But those sorts of functions are what you have to explain to the business, right? Like, why do I upgrade VMware things? Because, well, security patches is a big one. Um, But maintaining support is the other one. It's, you know, I can't be on 6.0 after whatever it is, March 2020, something like that. I forget what it is. Sorry if I scared anybody. <laughs> um, but those sorts of functions are, that's what drives things. Honest to God, that's what drives this. Getting rid of anything requires you to have some sort of external reason and and that you don't control anymore. If it's up to you and there's no real reason for you to upgrade, the business is not going to pay for it. They don't want to do that. They would like to maintain operations as smoothly as possible. And changing things like that is introducing risk, and businesses hate that. Um, so, in, in those sorts of functions, I a lot of times we've spent not small sums of money in terms of you know technology that is uh, neat and cool for us. But a lot of times, it's making sure that when we go to do things, that it's the I can sell it as you know minimi- minimizing impact to uptime. Mm. Right. So, hey, uh, I'm just going to a little small pluck for Cloud Foundation. Cloud Foundation makes doing my upgrades easier. Well, if it makes doing my upgrades easier, that's less risk. It's all sanctioned by VMware. It's all been kind of codified by VMware. And I'm capable of doing a vCenter upgrade with very, very little uh, risk. Um, I'm capable of upgrading a whole bunch of vCenters and hosts and those sorts of things with very, very little risk in a very standardized manner, which means the business doesn't worry about that. Um, those are the sorts of things. That's how you sell those functions. It's, you're talking it, about, it's interesting.
0: You're, you're, you, you said something very interesting, which is businesses generally won't just do version upgrades unless it's a support issue. But then you're mentioning something else, which is, you know, a lot of times support issues are interconnected web of dependencies you know this version of the backup only supports this version of the array or this version of you know my hypervisor only supports you know this version of the backup and then it also requires this version of the array and you know and then these servers require this version of the hypervisor so because of that interconnectedness you have to do this like kind of stepwise function of upgrades and and which, as you pointed out, increases risk. Hey, uh, maybe Paul, maybe I can, you know, draw you in here. Is that something that is part of your practice when you get brought in? Is you know articulating uh, technology risk and business risk of of making changes and of not making changes? Is is that something that that you know departments like IT departments are not actually good at? That they need somebody outside to actually come in and do. I will say
3: making the move. Um... Up from the the small the SMB market up to like large business and enterprise, change control uh, blew my mind. I, I got so used to just being able to go and do whatever I wanted, fire up the server, make these migrations, do these upgrades. Uh, finally, seeing change control and understanding why it exists. Um, it it was a little frustrating. It was a bit of an adjustment at first, again, because it, it kind of felt like it was restrictive. But it makes sense. It helps mitigate that risk to the to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, when I'm out with um, clients doing the consulting side, uh, more more often than not, I have to explain where the not so much like where the the, the risks lie because they're very well aware of it. Um, a lot of IT shops going back to. Uh, what uh, AJ was saying about the business cares about uptime, they've spent a lot of time analyzing the risk. What I, what I encounter more often than not is, this is how we can do it without giving you downtime. Or yes, you know we got to look ahead because that version of vSphere is coming up. And if you've got a storage refresh, we're going to run into a lot of issues. So it's more along the lines of you, you see the risk, how can I help you mitigate that going forward versus actually finding out where it exists.
0: Uh, so this is back to AJ's um, discussion of being able to speak their language about understanding the risk that they're facing and, and acknowledging that you're concerned about that too. And when they understand that you are concerned about it, then are, they're more likely to listen to you.
2: Yeah, it's one of the big things that I've had to learn over the last probably I don't know, seven years let's say seven years when I went to the partner and then came back to here was talking to people around what it is that they're trying to do and not just saying this is the cool new function that I want to, I want to upgrade from vSphere 4.1 to 5 because 5 is bigger, is bigger than 4.1. Um, why are these things important? what are the things that you're trying to do what are the features that you're trying to gain you know are you struggling with the ability to deliver what the business is looking for right and in those like earlier versions of vSphere, the big version jumps also involved changing the amount of resources you could apply to a vm which then opened up more use cases for servers in the environment that they hadn't virtualized yet because there were you know there's some sort of you know crazy big vm or whatever that didn't allow them to do that. So those sorts of changes were that's where you start to make the upgrade. It's how do I make it so that the business doesn't worry about this? And one of the, I mean one of the big selling points of virtualization 10, 15 years ago was the ability to move a VM from one physical host to another without taking any outage. Sorry to all the people who've got scars from a V motion that has gone sideways, and shout out to all the people who have to do change controls for V motions. You you are the true heroes. Um, but in terms of the that ability, said okay, I can refresh my physical hardware without having to take servers out. That actually improves the business, right? And I think you know. I am I was a lucky boy, and I went to a school that I had to took I had to take a bunch of business classes. I had to take industrial psychology and uh, marketing and finance and two different accounting classes and those sorts of things, along with all of a bunch of IT classes. So I learned how to speak their language. It's real fun when you go into a finance meeting. You talk about capital expenditures, op- operational expenditures, and straight line depreciation. They think you're they they wonder where you came from. Um. So those sorts of things are. Those are important. The technology itself is fine and it'll change like a hundred times. But the business itself, business rarely changes in terms of how they do those sorts of functions and how they look at things and how the business and how they're, how they're selling their things to their management. You're just a resource provider. There's these people have to sell it north to their bosses, to their management, because they're actually trying to do it to improve the business itself. So sure. those, those are the sorts of functions. I, I, I like saying there is no innovation in infrastructure. There just isn't, it's just different ways to run stuff. Right. So we could, there's, you can run in containers, you can run in VMs, you can run on physical service. Regardless, you have an application to put somewhere and it has to serve the needs of someone. So how do you do that? And how do you make it so that it's the least impactful way to do it for them? And there's not it's not necessarily innovative in there. um, But you can definitely make changes to make improvements to their lives that they're not, they may not be thinking of.
1: I think, I think the, uh, everything we've been speaking about is getting into the role of say the enterprise architect, that mindset of understanding the business requirements and, and not focusing so much on the functionalities. So I want to try and tease out a thought I had while you're talking. So take someone who is a, a technology administrator, whatever technology you want in the enterprise, all they do is break fix on that particular technology. I think, or at least my theory is, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, that it would be more difficult for that person to take on the architect type mindset where we're more focused on what the business requirements and needs are than someone who had worked in a smaller company in the small to medium business who actually was solely uh, in charge of planning some new technology rollout, working with procurement, doing the actual implementation and then doing the support after the fact. I feel like there's something to be said about the planning and implementation process that someone experiences that leads them to
2: get to that mindset? Am I off base there? Um, No, I I don't think you're entirely off base. I think it's going to depend on the person. And I think it depends on how it depends on how much they want to make that shift. Right. I think somebody who from an SMB side is going to come in and they can do it a little bit more easily because they've had to have those conversations with the, they're not talking to the storage array all day. They're not talking to the network switches all day. They're talking to the actual end users. They're talking to the business about what it is that they want to do. And the business is coming to, you know, Harry, the, all the all hat guy, right. They're talking to that person. They're talking to, um, so he's had to have a lot of those conversations. I think a different, you know, a dedicated sysadmin for a specific technology, it would be, I think it would be more difficult for them. I don't think it's impossible though. Um, And a lot of that comes back to can you understand the questions that are being asked from a business side and how can, and can you remove yourself from that? And I think if you're, a sysadmin of, you know, a a virtualization environment or a storage platform or a networking platform. And I'm picking on those three, you can go all the way into databases and and, uh, middleware and all those other functions. It turns into, you know, how much experience have you had with end users? How widely do you think? Because you can have somebody who's a sysadmin who has a lot of thoughts about a lot of other things, they just may not actually do anything about it, right? They may say like, "Oh, hey, well, if I were running this virtualization infrastructure, I <laughs> would X," right? I feel that way uh, about my uh, networking and storage things. So, kind of a lot because um, <laughs> I have that that previous experience, but it's not a it's not necessarily like how I I think about it going forward. Right. And how I respond to a business that way. I don't like come up with, I don't like help them come up with a solution. I say, well, yeah, but if you're going to do this with the storage team, this is what you need to say. It's no, the storage team's involved. Right. And it's, it's more of that collaboration, especially in a larger enterprise. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that an SMB person can make those, those can have those conversations a lot more easily just because they have the experience with it. But I don't think that it's uh, impossible for an architect. Paul.
3: Yeah, and I am jumping onto your point, um going back to yes, the person who just does break fix day-to-day operations within that application, yes, they can make it you know make the move up into that role, but I, into the architect role, but I think that actually depends on the person. Uh you you look at somebody who just okay, I know I see this problem, this is what I do to fix it, go back to watching videos on YouTube. Or you've got somebody who goes, Okay, I, I keep seeing this problem over and over again. Why does this occur? Let me go talk to my like. Where where does the storage come into play? Why is it, why are we losing these connections? Is it the network? Is it the is it the, the compute side? You start to talk to the other members of the teams. You actually try to figure out why my application keeps breaking, other than right click restart fix whatever move on to the next one. I think that's the person that's going to be able to succeed moving into an architect role versus, uh you know you don't have to come from the SMB side, and it's actually a little bit. Uh, I would say it's almost a little bit more beneficial to move. If you're in a a medium large business and you've spent that time, you've got an understanding of the business on a whole versus somebody coming up from the SMB space to be an architect, uh, in a large business. And it's, it's just, again, it's all on the person. If they're going to take that time to actually try and understand and develop this, the skill, develop the, the understanding and the curiosity of why does this happen instead of just, Hey, you know, it's fixed you know, out of my next ticket.
0: I suppose that it might depend on the, uh, the, the person as, as you both said, but maybe the, the culture of the department and the culture of the organization as well. You know, a lot of times, I mean, I've walked into organizations where there's like an antagonistic culture, almost on purpose mm-hmm. between silos, which, which keeps them from interfacing for, I don't know why, but you know, that's just the way it is. And maybe people don't even remember why it was set up that way. And, and in that situation it's actually really difficult to have an enterprise architecture team that it like grows organically from those silos, right? It's yeah. Like I've,
2: I've had those sorts of those sorts of things where I've I've had I've actually had to talk people down from like, well, why are they doing it this way? I'm like, Well, they're the networking team or they're the storage team or they're the compute team and that's what the choices they made with their platform and their vendors and those sorts of things and that's the way that they're gonna go do it. If you right. would like to change that find yourself a position on their team and then go do that. It's it is a if is it your problem? No. Is it going to be your problem? No. Then who's bothered by this? Like we can get into the battles especially around like vendors of choice. I've seen a lot of that sort of gnashing of teeth happen where it's like well they use this vendor that vendor stinks i'd i'd prefer (laughs) that they use vendor y and i'm like i dude it's 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 moving bits it's storing bits it's crunching bits unless there's a distinct reason why like and i'm sure that they've probably gone through and figured this out especially when there's like a large refresh comes through um they've probably gone through and like maybe taking a peek out there. And if they haven't, maybe they just have a preferred vendor because they have a better relationship with that vendor. Or maybe they have a, they, they have a lot of institutional knowledge or a lot of team knowledge around how that vendor does things and it works for them. Um, but yeah, the gnashing of teeth between teams. If, if, when I see that, I, I just start to shake my head. I'm like, okay, you, you two need to get in this room and start figuring out why you hate each other because this ain't going to work for anybody. And this is how both of you get gone real fast. So, um yeah. sometimes it's organizational you know yeah. like it's it
0: starts at, you know between two vps and then uh it filters down to the directors you know not being able to politically position themselves as getting along and then the managers the same and then then it's the individual contributors and it's just set up that way
2: yeah um, the co- go ahead paul
0: I,
3: just, I was going to say that the, the culture of a company, the culture of an IT department uh, plays big time into your ability to develop outside of your silo or outside of your skill set, as well as being able to help others move. I've worked in companies that we've had very poisonous attitudes I've uh, amongst various people. I've worked with companies that I, I still call back to some of these people and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. What have you done Um, always willing to help, even though we work at different companies now or even competing firms. Um, It's just that that attitude, that willingness to help. I've spoken numerous times about, don't be a jerk. Um, Give back to your team. When I'm at a conference, I come back and I'll tell my team, hey, this is what I learned. This is what I saw. If I'm at, like I do a tech field day. I'll share this blog or I'll share this podcast with my team when it airs. Like it's just that, that giving back, being willing to work amongst yourselves. And when somebody who's not part of your technology silo asks a question, don't tell them to bug off, appreciate the fact that they want to learn, Hey, you know, my, my application's running slow. Uh, I think, you know, am I getting the information from the storage fast enough? How can we talk about that? I think that's, that's, breaking that negativity that and I see a hoodie up on the screen in front of me, the the IT guy who sits in a corner with his hoodie up and the lights off. That's it's it's kind of like a a thing of the past. If you're going to succeed, you need to be out there and you need to be a a team player.
0: Yeah, and maybe that's a a sign of uh, working at a a company that you know, is kind of set up for uh, for failure you know, the organization or not set up for the success of the individuals. um, Especially, you know, you, you might want to maybe rethink your career path and whether it involves this organization, if it's set up in this like antagonistic way.
3: Right. And some, something I actually, I had a thought, I was thinking about company culture, corporate culture, and, you know, just thinking back on my career, um, culture doesn't come from a committee. It's it's a company-wide thing on the whole. It starts at the top with the management. If you think throwing a few people together in a conference room is going to fix things, that's it's it's bigger. It's a bigger problem
2: than that. Yeah, and it's it, the 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 culture has to be if if you got a bad if you've got bad culture and you can pretty much sniff that out and if you're if you're new to an organization, it's a bad sign. Um Sometimes it could be changed, right? As as, as Paul said, it, it it does. It starts at the top, but it doesn't end there. Um, if you've got a good top level management, or you if you've got a at least a top level manager who appears to care about making things better, um, I will say that I've been involved in a number of projects and a number of things in my current company where um, I, I've I've lost a good bit of hair because of it. Um, <laughs> it's it's right it's any frustration in any job i've been in a bunch of other frustrating positions in in my career um but seeing things from the top and actually seeing change come from it uh turns things around and says okay maybe this is just one of those just no good lousy projects that we just have to get through and it'll be fine and the next project is going to be awesome and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't um but kind of believing in that message and understand and seeing things. When the moment I walked in and heard you guys have a dedicated test environment? Like for real? How <laughs> dedicated? And they said, Oh no, we have like test storage and like full test networks and like these are our test hosts. And I went. Awesome. I didn't think that happened. I thought that was a myth <laughs> told by the lore, the legend of the lore. Like I, I Right. But it was that there was a whole dedication at a corporate level to say, this is what we have to do in order to maintain our applications at the maximum amount of availability possible. And we want the the investment that we're making here is less than the amount of money that it costs us to take an outage or to take an outage because we didn't test it somewhere. And I went, people get it. Okay. (laughs) All right. We can figure some things out here. So... Those sorts of things can be uh, different, right? And, and when there is a dedication to it at a, cor- at a culture level, at a, at a VP level, at a director level, at a, uh, a C- at a C level, right? When you see that all the way through, you go, okay, we can make some things work here. Yes, things are going to be frustrating because people always want to do the things that they want to do. But the overall goal is to do the right thing. So how do we do the right thing and how do we make that work the entire way through? And then what do I need to do to help with that? And it's a different, it's a completely different ball game at that point.
1: So one of the questions I was going to ask was what practical tips do you have to get into the architecture mindset? And I think you two have done a great job of giving us some tips. So if you have reached that level of enterprise architect, like we've been talking about, what's the next logical step for someone like that in their technology career? What are your thoughts?
2: Um, I think from, from that standpoint, you have a couple options. A, you slide out. If you're a, like an enterprise architect, like a customer, you slide out to the partner consulting world, right? That's a, that's a fairly logical step where you're doing the enterprise effectively you're doing enterprise architecture as a service. Um, and then you or you go the other way and you try you move up in the internal organization and you start to work your way towards you know VP direct V, you know director VP CIO sort of level um, i know a, a couple enterprise architects that have done that they they've made their way towards you know higher level positions where they're you know in charge they they've moved into management but because Enterprise architecture, for lack of a better term, can be less technical and more consultative. Sliding over to management is more of a people, how, how you manage people thing, and less of a um, how do you manage technology. And the, the difference there is that you already speak the business language. You already speak the sort of solution language and less the, you know, technical speeds and feeds. And you know, it's, it's always good if you, once you start to reach like a certain architecture level and you start getting into meetings with enterprise architecture, enterprise architects, you start to sit down and, and have conversations with them and understand where their thinking is. And it helps drive your thinking. And I, I, cause I'll say this, I came in as a very technical architect. I could talk all the business stuff I'd like to, but it wasn't necessarily my first language. And it's slowly but surely becoming my first language. And the tech side has started to slide away. Um, I still love the technology. I still have fun with it. And a lot of times I'm still the first person who goes and looks at a technology. Um, but I have to figure out what it means. It's less about like, oh, I can click a button and get a thing. That's great. It's <laughs> like, okay, well, what, what would I do with this? And what does this mean? And how would, I, how would this benefit things? And that's a completely different way of thinking than when I, you know when I was an engineer and I was focused on like how do I do this cool thing and make it so that my customers were happy. It was more along the lines of like, okay, well what does the business think about this? What does this do for them? How does this change things? I've spent a lot more time thinking about like process stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with technology. Like why does it take so long to get an account? Or why does it take so long to spin up an instance? Why does it take so long for us to spin up an application, those sorts of things. And in the time to market it's sometimes it's technical. Like, Oh, Hey, this, this process takes a long time because of the way that it's written. Okay. How do we fix that process? But then there's sometimes that, that technical process, but sometimes it's a people process of, Oh, this actually requires a manual approval by like this one guy. And he only does it on Tuesdays. like, Those are two different worlds, but they still have the same sort of functions instead of computers and technology being involved there's people involved. And
3: I would have to pretty much fully agree with AJ on this one. Once you hit that certain level within your company, um, I won't say it's an apex because technology is always evolving. You can always learn more. But once you hit that, that peak moving out into the consultant space gives you an opportunity to see different environments. Take what you've learned, learn new things, apply it uh, in many different ways uh but yes moving up in in the business itself um whether it be yeah like you said vp all sorts of all all the different titles above architect that's just a very logical route um and then you can also be that advocate you you've been in the trenches you know how it's gone you've done that work you can be the advocate for your engineers, for your admins, so you can you can inspire that change slowly over time. Should it actually need to, you know, occur in your company,
2: just don't fall into the sales trap of saying, "I used to be technical." <laughs> just don't.
3: Be I full disclosure: I'm pre-sales now, and I tell everybody I am fighting to keep my technical side. I will not give that up. That's good. I like the sound of
1: that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, we're we're kissing uh, 90 minutes here. Um, you know, granted, we haven't been recording that whole time, but I want to be respectful <laughs> of of the the time that that we asked of you. Uh, you know, closing thoughts. Uh, I think we've talked about a lot. I think we maybe threw away everything that we were planning on talking about, but I think <laughs> that we 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 got to the core of of what it was that we wanted to 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 address, which is that kind of change of mindset from you know, small business to medium sized business to, you know, large business and, and that business thought, you know, orientation. Um, and, and then, you know, we, you guys kind of unprompted kind of talked about, you know, ways to, uh, you know, individuals might actually, you know, start that approach. And, and, and if you're in that position now, like, you know, talked about, uh, where to go from there. So I I think it's been just an amazing conversation. I wanted to, to thank both of you. Do you guys have any additional
2: follow up questions? (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm more than happy to, to, to talk about this sort of stuff. This is, this is the interesting part, right? This is just talking about like what that thinking process is. And I, I, I spend a lot of time in my job, um, like I have people on my team and I make sure to talk to every single one of them at least once every two weeks. Right, I take that time to sit down and talk with them about what's going on, keep them in the loop, those sorts of things. And, and if you are in a position in which you have the capability to do those sorts of things um, or you are a leader or you are an architect, it, it behooves you to sit down and, and take that time to talk with each person individually to understand where they want to go. To understand how they want to do their things, um, certain people are very happy doing the things that they do. They don't necessarily want to. Um, they don't want to. I don't want to say they don't want to move up, but they're very happy in doing things and and in, in what they do, and their job is very pleasing to them, and that's fine. There are also people who want to move up, and they don't know how. Um, and I've specifically, you know, taken that time with those people to say, you know, what, do you, what is it that you want to do? And how do we get you those opportunities? And, um, you know, one of the things we did in our last, uh, you know, making sure the training opportunities are available, making sure the training time is taken, right? Our, our industry changes constantly. Um, so here's the opportunity. We make sure that people get the chances to go to training, to go to conferences, those sorts of things, because it's important, right? And the amount of money you invest there. Is negligible compared to trying to bring on new people to take on those functions. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm just going to throw a headcount out there and say, okay, a, a brand new headcount, bare minimum, is probably like all benefits and everything included, is probably like $75,000. A training class is $4,000. There's a $71,000 savings by having your people trained up on more than one thing. It also makes their careers. A little bit more open. It lets them put a little bullet point in the resume, and um, <clears throat> it helps you because now you have other people who potentially can do the same things you do, and now you can spread that work out. There's the investment in training is important. Uh, cloud training, public cloud training, is crazy cheap in comparison. Now, um, <laughs> go sign up for Plural Site. Um, go sign up for uh, a Cloud Guru. I mean, all of those services are wildly cheap in comparison to you know some traditional vendor courses um i wasn't making names i wasn't pointing anything out john just i think one john took 4, a personal 000... one of them is four thousand dollars a class one of them is like 25 bucks a month there's a difference <laughs> <It's horrible. laughs> but taking the time to do it on your own sometimes is helpful too um and and there's a reason i haven't seen too many movies recently there's a reason i haven't seen too much tv recently like i've those sorts of things, it's it's all about prioritization and trying to take that time for training. And sometimes, it, like, I try to make sure that people get the time through in working hours to do it because it is work-related and we're paying for it. So it's important that they go do it. Um, but if it's something that you want to do on your own, you want to learn about containers, you want to go learn about public cloud things, you want to do VMware things and go through hands-on labs, take that time. And make sure that you take the time, uh, whether that's in your working hours or whether that's on personal time. But um, that's how you jump. Cause then you have the knowledge and you, when you speak about it in a clear fashion, people think people are like, Oh yeah, this person is, is definitely knows what they're tra- talking about and how they want to do it. And then they, that confidence is, is inspiring.
3: Un- unsolicited advice. I would say, um, get out of your comfort zone. Some of my, my greatest successes have come from saying, you know what? Yeah, I don't do this at all. Let's give this a shot. I, I spent many years working in a factory. I knew I could do better. I Took a lot of risks, went and got my education, um, jumped into the field. And by getting outside of what I normally did, it it helps you learn. It helps you grow. If you would have asked me in high school if I'd be out speaking at conferences in front of three, 500 people doing a podcast where I don't even know how many people listen, I would have told you, you're nuts. (laughs) I was very introverted. I was very shy. It's it's taking that time to develop yourself and taking risks, risks pay off. There's no, there's no fast forward. There's no easy way to get, you know, from where I went to where I am now or where I'm going or where, you know, AJ has been in his career or any of us on this call. There's no easy way you have to be able to, you know, it takes some determination. Yes. You got to catch a couple of breaks, but you do have to take your risks. You have to put your head down and you have to work. Um, and also mentoring is huge. Uh, you're, I got to where I am with the help of many different mentors along the way. And I'm more than willing to help. Like I, 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 I meet with each one of my salespeople, um, once a week and it's not really a mentoring relationship, but I can help them start to evolve their understanding of tech. Like, yes, we talk about our clients, but being able to talk a little bit more about that and we've got a new engineer in a different, different city. So he we set up a weekly call so we can talk about this is what this is how we do it in this company um, what are you seeing in your area this is what I'm seeing in my area oh that's cool I'm gonna start doing that you know it's just building that mentoring relationship it could be a two- way street it could be a one- way street um, that's having a mentor and don't be shy to mentor somebody getting out there giving back I've learned a lot from lots of folks and i I will forever be grateful for it so. That's that's kind of why I do what I do. So I, I hope others pick up the reins as well and learn and give back when they can and how they can.
0: I really like the uh, the giving back thing. It, it, it's funny how um, nothing helps you uh, cement your your knowledge about something than the uh, opportunity or the requirement to teach it to somebody else. Right? And you're like, ooh, oh, wait, yeah. how do I do that? <laughs> even when they, even
2: when they fall asleep as a college intern. Uh, I'm sorry, Brian. I fell asleep during your subnetting talks. It's fine. The numbers are all in my head now. It's fine. But I fell asleep like a lot.
1: I was very tired as a college student. But you know, speaking of giving back, maybe somebody's out there and you want to give back a mentoring program to a friend. So there's no reason you can't send that tweet out to Nerd Journey to sign a friend up for the John White School of Mentoring today. Pricing and packaging to come. I'm sure Paul or AJ <laughs> would be happy to give you some advice as well, but I'm in it for the money and I'm in it for the money uh, to get you some of John's time.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, sub this uh, how, out to AJ.
2: There's a, no, don't, mm, no, this is the John White school. This is not the John White subs out to AJ school. It's a package to start at 999 a month. You get a daily email from John personalized to you. <laughs>
0: oh, this is <laughs> getting worse and worse. There's a
2: daily affirmation in everyone. Oh, no. <laughs> you have to resubscribe. You have to, you have to, uh, you have to, uh, you get a, a private YouTube channel from John where John tells you each day, how special you and you alone are. I wonder if I could automate this and some no. audio books
1: to listen to at night. So you can absorb the information.
3: <laughs> Just oh, no. sign up for the Patreon at uh, as a monthly <laughs> member and get access to the, the mentoring Snapchat and the extra content that's not available through the Nerd journey
2: podcast. Go to patreon.com slash nerd journey. Sign up for our sign up for our Patreon. Get access to our private discord server where you can talk to John and Nick daily. And
0: if you're enjoying this,
2: smash that subscribe button, smash that like button. Like and subscribe button. Leave a comment below telling you how much you love John specifically. (laughs) That's the best one yet guys.
0: goodness all right well thanks so much for your time guys um i think we're uh right at time we should uh probably let everybody go and get some sleep (laughs) everybody's getting punchy (laughs) thanks again wow
1: was that not an amazing final two minutes of radio i mean when you watch a basketball game, the final two minutes are electrifying, and this was exactly that to me. Talk about nuggets of wisdom.
0: <laughs> yeah. I wonder if those guys have uh, improv comedy training. They really yes-anded you right away. <laughs> um, at any rate, I really enjoyed the overall experience of talking to them. Super enjoyable and, and really good thoughts on career path as well. Anything else, Nick, before we break? Besides wishing I had a mic
1: that looks like the Death Star? No, I don't think so just a reminder that we definitely want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening we want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder we're collectively on twitter at nerd journey
0: farewell listeners tune in next time as the journey continues i'm john white at v journeyman for nick cordy at network nerd underscore signing off adios
1: Let's make sure the listeners know that we're VMware solution here. Try that again. (laughs) Want to make sure our listeners know that we're both. (laughs) I should be able to do this. (laughs) Hang on just a second. All right. Okay, Okay, here we go. Three, two, one.
0: You're losing it, man. <laughs> getting punchy.
1: I'm getting punchy. <sighs> All right, I can I can be cool. I can be cool. Here we go. Three, two, one.